wanted to write down these stories to share with friends and close family, uh, you know, our kids. Travis has always had a, a, a dream of writing a book, and it, it just kind of morphed into that. The times that we failed while hunting spoke more to education than any kind of a kill shot would. It sounds, it sounds super cliche, but backpacking has changed my life. I was driving at night, so I decided to stop in town, and I sat down, and I was talking with this old-timer. His viewpoint on it was just... It was so profound to me. I laughed until I cried for four days straight. There's so many other things that make up a hunt that we don't talk about. It, it contains a lot of those little strange novelty stories that rarely get communicated, but are greatly enjoyed. I am so content. I'm the happiest I am all year long with nothing that I can't stuff in the backpack on my back. Hey, this is Travis. And this is Scott. And hey, we're from Team Bad Decision. And you're listening to Living Country in the City. Y'all ready for your dose of flyover state spirit? Straight from the concrete jungle? Well, put down your latte and pull on your boots. It's time for Living Country in the City. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Hey all welcome to episode 105 of Living Country in the City. Just a reminder, as I've been telling you week after week, Living Country in the City will soon be rebranding to the Wild Initiative, so keep an eye out for that. Got some exciting stuff coming down the line with uh, with that rebrand. All right, y'all, on to today's episode. Today I have Travis and Scott with Team Bad Decision. Y'all, I was introduced to these guys by my good friend Brittany. If y'all haven't heard of them, make sure you go follow them on Instagram. They have an incredible story to tell. They re- recently released a book that is a fantastic read, y'all. And these guys are a ton of fun to talk to. So I hope y'all enjoy episode 105 with Travis and Scott from Team Bad Decision. All right, y'all, here we are, another episode of Living Country in the City. Um, (laughs) I am here with Travis and Scott from Team Bad Decision, which is a name I absolutely love because it speaks to my personal hunting experience. I'm not sure, guys, how much of my show you've checked out, but I have a, uh, I have two solo episodes that I've done, just, just that are just me talking. One's a recap of my hunt, but the one before that that I did was uh, entitled "More Things Not to Do in the Backcountry." So, the name "Team Bad Decision" definitely speaks to my soul. <laughs> um, guys, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast with me today. Hey, no, thanks for having us on. So. Want to uh, start out with just for each of you, maybe a little bit of background. How did you get introduced into the into hunting, the outdoors? What? How'd you get your start? Um, well, you know, my start. It was pretty young. I was I was sitting around in a duck blind with my dad when I was, you know, just I mean, three, four, five years old. And then we started doing a lot of upland hunting uh, all the way up through high school and stuff like that. I didn't really get into big game hunting until I was in my late teens, early 20s. And most of that stuff was like family friend camps, elk camps and deer camps. It was a lot more beer drinking and uh, (laughs) back to camp by 11 a.m. watching satellite television than anything. But um, we had a little success and that kind of stoked my fire. And and then... um, in 2013, I met Scott, and we started deciding that we wanted to hunt the backcountry, and, and we've been doing that ever since, almost, almost exclusively, really. So, Awesome. And Scott? Yeah, for me, I didn't grow up hunting, uh, so it was something I kind of took to as an adult. Uh, I kind of like Travis, started out with friends and family on some front country hunts, and then started. I went on my first backcountry hunt in 2012. The next year, I met Travis, and it was just 
you know, we just kind of fell in together and we got along, worked good in the woods together and had a little success and then a, a long, a long downturn of, of failure. <laughs> and it's finally started to kind of come back around. No, that's awesome. So this is a question I've asked, I think once before on the podcast, and I always, I talked with a lot of people and I ask them this question in person and I always find the answers. They're always so different and so interesting because, and I bring it up because you mentioned, you know, front country and back country. What is, what would you say your definition of what makes the back country for you? What, like, what's the difference? You know, you say back country, front country. What is, what is the back country? I think Travis and I have slightly different definitions on this. So we'll let him go first with his. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I, I kind of define it as, as somewhere where you're packing into where you're getting away from the road and you're, you're, you know, you're not heading back to a truck camp at night. You're packing your ass into the back country and a couple miles and, uh, uh, and hunting from there, you know, I'm, I'm not sure exactly where, where Scott's definition changes, but we've had a couple different conversations cause there's other places that you can pack back and, uh, pretty far and that I don't think I would still consider that the back country. I mean, we like to, we like to get up into the Alpine. We like to be in the high mountains and, and that's kind of what we, at least I define as the back country for me. So, so you'd say definitely, definitely backpacking in is a, is a definition of the back country. You got to get in there. You're not driving in. Um, and it leans a little bit more towards the Alpine, the forest, the trees, the mountains. Okay. Yeah, definitely. What do you, what, what would you call the back country, Scott? I, you know, I mean that, that definitely, that definitely fits. But in addition to that, it's just, it's places that you can't drive into places that you can't, you know, ride a four wheeler into, um, typically wilderness, um, you, you're not going to make it back to a, a base camp that night, that kind of thing. You know, you're, you're going to be living off of all your, off your back or, I mean, you know, people get in there with stock as well, but essentially places you're not, you're not walking in and out of every morning and every night. You know, somewhere where you have to pack whiskey instead of beer. That's, a, that's probably the best. <laughs> that is perfect. That's yeah. perfect. <laughs> oh, I love it. I actually, uh, I actually been talking with Stillhouse Whiskey, funny enough. Um, I probably, I don't know. I should probably make them pay for a mention on the podcast or something. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> I, I just find their slogan is so incredibly clever that I, I have no problem mentioning it. It's an unbreakable spirit. And it is like, in my mind, if you're packing in whiskey, that's the whiskey you want. Because it comes in, uh, uh, basically, it looks like a, a paint thinner can. Um, and it's tasty whiskey and it, uh, <laughs> is very unbreakable. But anyway, I digress. Um, <laughs> unpaid promo there. That is just cause I like the, uh, like the product. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, I, that, yeah, that's always a question. I always just like hearing what people say, you know, it, it tends to always revolve around, uh, kind of the, those general themes of it's, you know, somewhere you have to work your way into um you know most people think of it as the mountains and stuff like that you know i don't have uh you know i kind of when you say backcountry i kind of have my mental picture i wouldn't say i necessarily have a definition of of that but uh you know it's just it's always an interesting thing i like to hear but so you guys meet you have some success you know success you have a lot of failure when did the name uh, Team Bad Decision come along? We've been asked. I'm, I'm almost 100% positive it was, in, it was in Colorado Part 2, right? Yeah. That's what yeah. it was. Yeah, I think it was on, on the second day of, of meatpacking. And we had, we'd, we'd, Scott had killed a bull like eight miles in, and it was over like two ridges before we even off trail, before we even got back to the trail. And um, – we had, I think we'd made a mention the previous year. We'd, saw, we'd seen a huge bull in the space, and we're like, man, it'd be a really bad decision to kill a bull in there. And so then we killed one in there the next year. And uh, so the, the name was kind of born as a joke, and we've kind of uh, carried that mantra ever since. So. Oh, no, that's great. And I love, I love that story that it has. It's, you know, it's, it comes from somewhere, but it's not just like, 
oh, you know, we just made a bunch of bad decisions, but it has like uh, implications from one year to the next. And there's a real history behind it. Um, so that's, you know, that's absolutely fantastic. And, and so was this before, uh, was this specific trip what uh, prompted, you know, so uh, big surprise here. We're now we're talking about uh, the book, uh, the team bad decision book. Um, but uh, was it this trip that kind of prompted prompted the book, or was it okay? We had this successful trip, we had a lot of these failures, and then then kind of the book morphed into that. Like, how did that? How did the book come about? I guess is what I'm asking. Well, so like the naming trip, the naming trip that was in 2015. So it was years later before we ever decided to do this project. And it didn't start as a book project in and of itself. Um, it was kind of, we wanted to, we wanted to write down these stories to share with friends and close family, uh, you know, our kids, um, while they were still fresh. And as the story started to come together, Travis has always had a, a dream of writing a book and it, it just kind of morphed into that. So, so you had this dream. When did like, how did it how did it finally switch just from writing down these stories like what was the was there any sort of defining moment that that really took it from like okay we just want to share these stories to like i think you know this needs to actually be a book i i think it was for me when we started talking about it i mean we we always kind of were like oh it's it's kind of a book it's kind of a, a collection of stories or whatever and and as when scott sent over Scott's kind of, uh, his memory is significantly better than mine. And my, I'm a little scatterbrained on occasion. So Scott sends me over this, uh, this list and it's all of our trips we've ever taken since we started together. And it was kind of cool as we looked at this list and I'm, I'm looking, I'm like, I'm like, man, you know, I remember this, this, you know, I remember we screwed that up. Oh, we killed that bull. We got spared here. And, and before long, it, it kind of told the story. And, and then as we started writing it down, they, everything just linked together and it, it became, I mean, it was, I mean, I, I think I wrote the whole book in six weeks um, on the first draft and it was, it was pretty apparent right away that, that it was, it was going to be something that was different than we originally anticipated and, uh, and something that we were, we were pretty excited about. And, uh, and then I think it was, we were waiting on editors mostly. That was the hardest part was waiting on other people, but uh, it was five, six months, I think, from start to finish when we got that book done. And it was ended up pretty cool. So, so I've got the book right here. And uh, Team Bad Decision, An Evolutionary Tale in Backcountry Hunting. And, uh, you know, I, I was, we were talking earlier and, you know, I kind of mentioned um, I got a digital version uh, last week, I want to say, is when we started talking. And then I uh, got the book a couple days ago and... I just started in on it, um, got, got through the prologue, and there's a lot of stuff that speaks, uh, speaks to me in here, um, stuff I've talked about, stuff I really identify with. But what, uh, you know, how, would you, how would you describe what this book is about to, to someone? You know, you're presenting like, hey, you know, we wrote this book, and they're like, oh, what's it about? What would you tell them? Uh, I mean, I, I've had people ask, oh, well, you know, what, what's your book about? I'm like, oh, it's about backcountry hunting. But if people want to probe, they really want to know what it's about. I mean, I would say it's a it's a book on an, on education of perseverance and being able to overcome obstacles that you you face when hunting and stuff that maybe especially a lot of new hunters uh, they take a look on social media today or they watch their their favorite outdoor channel show and and they see guys that are filling tags you know in in what appears to be a day and a half and having no problem doing it. And that's just not the reality of the situation. And so I think it's important to portray what I consider to be a truth um, as, in hunting as opposed to some of the stuff that, that is portrayed today, which is, is a little bit edited and a little bit uh, unrealistic, I think, for most people when they, when they step out their front door. You know, that's something I've talked about with a few people on the podcast that's very important to me personally. And I think is there's a bit of a move towards it uh is authenticity and hold that holistic telling of the story because one it's it's beneficial to 
to us for bringing uh, new people into the into this hunting lifestyle. Um, but it's also just beneficial for hunting in and of itself because, you know, you think about how media is now versus how it used to be, where, you know, it used to be you would have to, you know, write in and, and send away for these VHS tapes that would come to you monthly or whatever it was, uh, you know, monster bucks or this or that or the other. And I, f- I feel like now it's so readily available when all you have are those that montage of kill shots and, you know, people getting it done immediately, it doesn't tell that picture. Whereas, you know, back in the day, people understood what, what went into hunting versus now the audience has changed and, you know, we're trying to bring in and, and really reach out to a a lot more people. You know, there's something and something else I'm really passionate about and I'm going to, I hope I don't get in trouble for reading this uh, a couple sentences here from the book. Um, (laughs) this is one of my, one of my favorite parts. This is what really spoke to me. Um, you know, in the previous paragraph, I alluded to the less successful trips as the ones that hold some of the most important lessons. I will readily admit that while writing about oneself, it is sometimes difficult to not gloss over or at least, or at the very least downplay the mistakes or errors that seem so obvious in retrospect. I will do my best to avoid this trap. I appreciate that so much because like we were talking about that authenticity is so lacking in a lot of big hunting media. Um, that is one thing I promised myself from day one when I started, I guess, putting this out was I'm like, I have to be 100% authentic. I'm not going to, when I screw up, I have to promote that just as much as when I'm successful. Um, hence what we were talking about earlier, uh, a whole podcast entitled more things not to do in the backcountry. Um, but, uh, I appreciate that so much because, you know, with, uh, when you're trying to reach out to new people and they are not successful immediately, or they can't find an animal, they can't hit the center of that target with their bow. They can't figure out how to sight in their rifle correctly. And all they're used to seeing is kill shot and successful this. And, uh, you know, we're so badass that they're going to think they're not cut out for this. And that is so far from the truth. So, you know, I want to just from that alone, I want to give you guys a huge kudos from for being willing to share those stories. Um, so. So with that, it sounds like from kind of what I, what I can see, it sounds like a lot of this book is actually more dedicated to the failures than to the successes. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, that we, we've got, we've got success as well. Um, you know, because I think, I think the success is, is it ended up being sweet, you know, sweeter and, and more rewarding because of the failure. I mean, cause we went through, you know, we went through the, shit, we went through the mistakes and, and, uh, but I, I think that, I think that, that the, times that we failed while hunting spoke more to education than any kind of a kill shot would. I mean, you don't, you don't learn as much about an animal. You don't learn about as much about what not to do in the future. And I don't think anything increases your chances of success more than learning from your own failures. And I mean, that's a, I mean, that's an old life lesson, right? But, but it really applies to hunting. And, and I think people sometimes forget that. And, uh, and I think it's important to pass on the mistakes that, uh, I seem to have made more than Scott uh, in, in all truthfulness, <laughs> but uh, but I think it's important to to talk about those and and so people can can see that other people make mistakes and that you can you can learn from them and, and then be successful. So. so, what would you guys say? You know, what were some of the big learnings? You know, and I I don't want to totally steal the thunder from anyone. Uh, you know, uh, to buy the book and and learn the story, but. What would you what would you say are some of some of the big learnings from you know maybe the start of this journey to not the end but to where we're at currently? Gosh, I would have to say uh, mental toughness. It took a while to realize that although you thought you were doing a good job and and being tough on the mountain, it just that's that's <laughs> not a fact. Um, proficiency with a weapon, be it rifle or bow. Um, you know, if, if we had been on the level that we're at currently, 
there there definitely be a lot more animals on the wall. Um, sticking sticking with the hunt to draw back to the mental toughness thing. You know, there's hunts that we really wish we could get back because we left too early. You know, we got to a, a mental breaking point and we packed it in for a million reasons. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, I don't know what what else do you, what do you got, Trav? As as far as you're talking about, as far as like lessons learned from from our mistakes, yeah, um, yeah. That's that's pretty. That kind of hits the hits the hammer on the head of the nail there, um, especially mental toughness. I mean, I think you said something there, Scott, that I haven't heard you really say before. But we thought we were tough at, at one point, and we did some tough stuff. I mean, we did things that were hard and stuff like that. But but man, we just were not we were not as tough as we thought. And, and, and it, you have to learn how to do that. I mean, just like anything else, you got to learn how to, how to persevere through stuff and you got to experience, you know, 30 hours in the tent to know if you can do it or not. And then the next time you spend 30 hours in a tent, it's not nearly as bad as it was the, <laughs> the first time, but, um, just make sure you have extra whiskey. To, <laughs> oh, there you go. Well, that, it, whiskey can definitely I, help build that mental toughness. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, as, as far as, as the, you know, I, I say we weren't tough and I'm not talking about, you know, climbing big mountains and knocking out mileage and carrying heavy packs. It was being able to stay on the mountain for four days without seeing an animal. And then, you know, then weather rolling it. And now it's, it's been more days with no animals and you just got to stay. I mean, I think our, our spring bear hunt, we just run where that's a, a pretty, a pretty typical issue of, of having some serious weather and, lack of game aversion we were in an area where we could see what would you say 10 square miles i think it was nine nine square miles in front of us of of premier game area i mean this is premier deer premier elk and we were not seeing deer or elk first first thing in the morning or right at night and it was we it, it was frustrating um but it was 90 plus degrees during the day and the middle of May and it was, everything was, was, was basically feeding all night and, and sleeping all day. And, and kind of like we ended up doing, actually eventually, <laughs> but, you know, so, but, um, but you know, it was, it was sometimes tough to, to even want to stay up there. Cause you, you start second guessing yourself and you're like, you know, is this the right plan or should we move locations or, or do we not move locations? And, and I don't know if we have the answer or not. I mean, we've done both and been successful both ways, moving locations and being successful and then staying and sticking it out. Um, I don't know. But like I said, it's a, it's a new learning experience every time we, we walk out the front door. So, I mean, talking about mental toughness, you know, and, and really the importance of building that, do you maybe have, you, you kind of touched on a little bit there. Do you maybe have examples of when uh, maybe one hunt that you guys went out on where you didn't really exercise and didn't uh, didn't really have that mental toughness, and you you feel like you really could have been successful if you had, had stuck it out. And then on the the inverse, maybe talk about a time when uh, you wanted to quit, but you guys stuck it out, and because of that, you were successful. I'll take the second, Scott. If you take the first, I'll take the first. <laughs> so. We, we had like seven days planned for a high country deer hunt and we packed into an area that we'd scouted, um, all summer and we'd had some bucks on camera and I still hold that it was a good area. Um, but we, the day we got up there, it was pretty hot. And I think we, we did some stupid shit like skylining ourselves too much. And then we had to walk down in the basin to get some water and we probably weren't stealthy enough, but then mother nature threw us a bone and threw us a two day storm. And instead of sticking it out the, the rest of the week, we went home and I, I, I feel like that storm would have undid everything we, that we screwed up with, you know, with, with noise and scent and, and presence. And if we do it, just hunkered down and then finally waited for that thing to break and just, you know, snuck into a glassing location. I really feel like, we could have we could have had some success there. Yeah, you had that. Well, and snow was coming too on that trip. Ooh, and that's and that and we and we left before the snow because the right. snow was supposed to be a foot of snow, and it was like, yeah, well, you know, maybe we should get out of here before the snow comes. And 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 to kind of tack onto that too, we went back two years later to that yeah. same basin and went up to the exact same spot. We went we went down and through the basin, went up the other side, and it snowed on us that night. And uh, when we hiked out 
there was multiple buck tracks coming through the bottom of that basin, exactly where we had been glassing and expecting deer to be two years earlier when we, uh, when we left. And so that was kind of, it was kind of a realization that we, we screwed up <laughs> I mean, you know, by bailing. You, you had that storm hitting the reset button for you and you did not take advantage of it, but no, exactly. It's, it's tough. I mean, I, you know, weather sucks. Uh, I, I deal with weather actually pretty okay, but you know, just knowing you screwed up, honestly, that's one of the worst, worst parts of, uh, that I think the most difficult parts about developing mental toughness. It's not the times where you're like, okay, the weather sucks. I'm not seeing any animals. Those are bad. But the worst parts were that are hardest to stick out, I think, are when you know you screwed up. When you screwed something up and still being able to stick out through that, that I think is where it is the most difficult to stay mentally tough because you're the other stuff you can at least like chalk up to being like, I have no control over this. But when, yeah, when you screw up, I feel like it is probably the worst, uh, the worst, most difficult part as far as it, when it comes to mental toughness. Well, it's funny you say that. <laughs> uh, you know, I, there, there's a lot of stories I think that that I could we could tell that where we've had some success after uh, after that. But you know, when you bring that up, that kind of reminds me of of a perfect example of that. It is in 2017 we were on a spring bear hunt, and uh, Scott had we had killed uh, we had two tags for a spring bear unit, and uh, the first guy had a tag that was with us. He killed a bear on the first day. And so they ended up leaving and Scott and I uh, continued to hunt and we went back up further up the drainage and, and Scott missed a bear. And it was a, it was a miscommunication on windage and uh, probably a little unfamiliarity with my reticle. He was using, we had one, uh, one rifle and he was using my gun and, and he missed the bear. And it was, it was dandy. And uh, we, we, we packed my belt started to be it was beautiful in, in what was 75 degrees clear bluebird skies at uh, all the way till about 10 a.m and then we had snow two hours later and so we had to sit through six hours of rain snow hail sideways wind sheltering underneath the tarp and in the exact same spot that, that scott had missed that bear right at five o'clock uh, uh this blonde popped out and and Scott was able to capitalize and that was, that was a pretty cool moment being able to, you know, coming back from the mist, dealing with weather all day long and, and really our own education. I mean, we, we've, we've learned that, you know, we pack a tarp now in the spring because it sucks just sitting out in the rain for six hours. So we bring a tarp and, and that's uh, made things, you know, you learn, you get smarter, not, you know, and, uh, and that was a pretty cool moment and uh, killing that bear. So. No, that's awesome. And it's, you know, there's nothing, like I said, that's got to be the most tough aspect of, I guess, mental tough, developing mental toughness is dealing with those uh, failures, but there's nothing more satisfying than to come back from, uh, you know, weather's one thing, like I said, you know, not seeing animals is one thing that's really satisfying to come out of a situation like that. But when you miss an animal, when you, you know, you spook something, whatever it is coming out of that is, and being successful is got to be, I mean, it's the most satisfying thing in the world. I feel like. Oh, it's that, redemption a little bit. Yeah. That whole experience was, I mean, it was a, it was a, a really triumphant moment for us to, to, to start that hunt. Travis didn't really touch on this. Um, we'd hunted this unit a few times, but the area that we went into, we had never hunted before. We'd never, we'd never even looked at it because we had the other side down, pretty well um and seen a lot of animals in there but our the, the snow held on really long and so we couldn't access it at all it was still full-on winter up there so we went into this area totally blind and ended up killing two bears in 48 hours that's amazing man i uh especially with the bears man that's such a that's such a i, I want a bear so stinking bad um that's uh that's one thing that when I, before I had even ever started hunting, I remember looking up, uh, I've told this story before looking up regs and thinking to myself, like, Holy crap, man, hunting a bear. That's like, that's like the epitome of being a dude right there. You know, bear hunting. Um, 
So I've been out. I've had multiple bear tags. I've only ever legitimately gone bear hunting once. I had also had one on my on my elk hunt. I'm not sure if that really counts, but um, yeah, no. They, but that's awesome, and I love I love hearing about those successes. Um, so what else can uh, someone picking up the book? What else can they expect uh, as they go through? as they go through and start reading the story uh, about y'all. I see here, um, where, where is it in the, uh, <laughs> I, lo- I also love this part. I, I I'm going to enjoy reading this, but I, I, I definitely love the author's note. Hard work, whiskey, wine, failure, success, failure, harder work, fun, mental highs, uh, brotherhood, lows, weather, injuries, rabbits, whiskey, real bad decisions. Um, what, what can we expect going, going into the team bad decision book? Uh, well, we've had, a, there's a, there's quite a bit of humor in there too. And it's, it's some of it's self-deprecating. Um, <laughs> but, uh, we, we found ourselves in a lot of situations that, uh, in that are what the definition of almost the definition of type two fun, right? Uh, it didn't seem very fun at the time, but seemed pretty awesome in retrospect. And, and a lot of those situations didn't need to be as hard as they ended up being, um, you know, I, I popped Scott's pad uh, on 15 minutes into our into our Colorado elk hunt. <laughs> I mean, like you know, I mean, like <laughs> so. I mean, like <laughs> you know, sometimes we, we make things tougher on ourselves, and and um, and that whole that whole scene. Um, I, I try to do a pretty good job of laying that scene out in the book because it was it was pretty comical. Um, Who was it now <laughs> for for me? Um, <laughs> no, so here's the question. Here's the question. After he pops your pad, did he volunteer his pad? That that's the big question. So here's the worst. He did. Here's the worst part about it, though. So this is 2014. So I had the brand new big Agnes Q Core SL, oh. big, nice, thick, quilted jobby, and he's still running a Thermarest trail light or some little. <laughs> he's like, no, little, he's he's like I'm tiny good. foam pad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, here's mine. <laughs> you know, I got this. It was wrapped around my Amazon package. Enjoy sleeping on it. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> but but you know, luckily you had an extra pad in the truck. So eventually, you know, a couple days later, we did a big loop and ended yeah, up back five, the five, truck. Day, five days later, <laughs> and, and, uh, swapped it out. But. <laughs> Um, but there's this little, little nuggets of, nuggets of humor like that uh, sprinkled throughout, and um, it's, you know, it contains a lot of the little incidental stories that if you're you know if you're a guy that's gone on or a gal too uh, that's gone on you know week long hunts with friends, it, it contains a lot of those little strange kind of novelty stories that rarely get communicated but are greatly enjoyed. I those are the the best stories because one everybody identifies with them maybe not the exact story but whether it's the mindset or you just know someone that would do some shit like that like exactly I mean you know <laughs> you guys you know you guys talk about hunt Colorado and this this last year was weird as hell in Colorado I'm I'm with you on that because I did I did a backcountry hunt and that was supposed to be total you know, war zone with elk. And yeah, we saw two cat or three cows the entire time, maybe a bull. I'm still not convinced. Um, but we're back there, you know, I'm back there with my buddy Kelvin and, uh, we're, we're at the point of the hunt where it's getting a little like, you know, we're getting a little crazy. Um, cause we haven't really seen much and it's, it'll be hot and then it'll be freezing and it'll, you know, who knows what's going on. And at one point we're walking back, we're walking back to get, you know, have an actual meal and we weren't seeing anything. And we're like, okay, we're going to go check out this clearing. So we get to this clearing, nothing there. We walk out and walk out into the middle of it. And he's like, Hey, I'm like draws back and like, Hey, I'm going to shoot this arrow up in the, just straight up in the air. And I'm like, ha 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 really funny. And he pulls back and looses the damn arrow straight up. And of course, like, I'm in immediate panic mode. (laughs) 
I don't think like, okay, there's no way it's going to come directly straight down. So the safest spot is to stay exactly where I am. No, I go tearing off the dire- other direction that I think like, okay, the arrow's not going anywhere this way. So I go running. All of a sudden, I, I'm kind of looking back at him, and he looks at me like, oh, he's panicking. I should probably panic, too. This was a really dumb idea. He comes tearing off after me, and suddenly we're standing there like, hey, oh, that was really, really funny, um, thinking like, okay, the arrow's already hit somewhere way over in the other direction. We hear that damn thing land. Got, it couldn't be like more than 7 to 10 feet from us, the direction we were running. and. It's a little more extreme maybe than <laughs> than most stories, but those are the best stories that you probably shouldn't admit to, but you get a beer, you know, you sit down for a beer with your buddies and all of those come out. Those are the absolute best ones. And so I am excited to catch some of the, uh, some of the, you the guys almost won the Einstein Award this year, right? The uh, Darwin Award. Oh, <laughs> you just tell me the story and I'm terrified oh. for you. <laughs> I, was, I was looking at him like, what is wrong with you? And he was grinning. The a whole lot, time. man. A lot. <laughs> oh, man. That hunt. That, yeah, that, that was a, an interesting hunt. But so. Yeah, we always say shit gets weird on day three. Ooh. So that is, you know what? A, that is 100% true. 100% true from <laughs> my limited experience, you know, day three is when, when stuff starts getting real weird. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, the, the strangest part about it is after you hunt with a guy for a long time, you can get that weird just on the drive there. And that's kind of <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> the, the bar starts getting lower and lower and lower <laughs> from where you start. Oh man. Well, so coming into this, you know, and, and maybe this is a, I don't it is a little different than the question I asked before, but how have you guys personally changed from, from, you know, the start of this journey you detail in the book to, to now, what are some of the biggest changes you guys have seen in each other, seen in yourselves, maybe I get, we're getting deep here. Well, I, it sounds, <laughs> it sounds super cliche, but backpacking has changed my life. Like I look around at the possessions and I'm like, why do I need all this stuff? Like I am, I am so content. I'm the happiest I am all year long with nothing that I can't stuff in the backpack on my back. No, I totally get that. And I, it's, this is my shower thought all the time. Like my brilliant thought in the shower is after I come back from a hunt, I'm standing there in the shower. You know, I've been, like you said, living out of a backpack for so long. And I'm like, I don't, why do I need all this? You know, why, what does this, you know, how does this serve me? How does this make me happy? And sometimes then though, I also realize I'm like, how happy would I be if I live 24 seven in that tent? Um, It's kind of, I feel like the misery it's when you're comfortable and you look back on the misery, that's when you realize how happy you were. It's not always. And it's, it's sometimes in the moment, not always <laughs> that you're like, that was the happiest moment of my life. You're like, actually at, at that second, that was the most miserable moment of my life. <laughs> and Very I, accurate. I would have murdered someone for a, a Coke and a shower. <laughs> yeah. I would say, I would say I've had some of the, uh, I would backpack hunting in particular has given both ends of that spectrum for me too. Like I've been, like I said, I've been, I've been exceptionally happy and I have been exceptionally miserable. And in fact, I I wouldn't say it's, I've been the happiest in my life on a backpacking hunt, but I have probably been most miserable in my life on a backpacking hunt. (laughs) And, um, and that was during a moment of, that was during a moment of triumph and success too. Um, you know, I, while I was listening to Scott there, I was kind of trying to think about my answer to that too. And, and it's, it's funny because since we started backpack hunting in 2013, it, it's kind of taken over. I mean, it's basically, it's my only real hobby uh, besides, I guess, besides writing, I suppose. But, uh, it, but so many other life events have happened since then. And, and it's, it's cool that to me, like I, I've actually got a, a, an article I've been working on and it's coming out pretty soon. It's, it's, associated with father's day. And I know this is going to release way after that, but um, it kind of made me realize 
but I wish I would have started doing this earlier. I mean, we started backpack hunting late. I was 26 years old when I started backpack hunting and it, it's cool to me that I, you know, I've got two kids that I've had, I've both my kids have been born, uh, you know, obviously since we started backpack hunting and, and it's cool to me that those, those two, and then Scott's got a new daughter and, uh, hopefully she gets into hunting as well if mom lets her out the front door and, and, uh, they're going to get to experience that their whole life. And, and they get to, they get to kind of build on what we've kind of started and, and hopefully we can, we can teach them the lessons. And, and that's kind of, it's kind of been where my thoughts have started to, to, I don't know if I say focus, but more redirect lately on, on kind of what we're, what we're doing is we're, we're kind of preparing the way for our kids to experience something that, uh, that we kind of came to and, and something that we're super passionate about. And that's, that's a really cool thing to, to think about. And, and hopefully they like to do it. I mean, I'm, you know, obviously you can't force them to like it, but, uh, but both my kids have a good start. They're both pretty into hunting. Uh, my youngest was running around before we left for our bear hunt with my binoculars looking for bears and, and he wears his boots all the time. Like he, it's the middle of summer. It was 90 degrees today and he's wearing his boots outside because he says when he wears his boots, he's hunting. And, and so that's, that's pretty cool. So yeah. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Now, that's something I always, you know, I look I look back and the same kind of thing. You know, I think, uh, you know, a lot of people use the term the, the adult onset hunter, you know. And I look back and I do, I wish, like... So often I wish I had had that experience when I was younger and, you know, but it wasn't, it wasn't meant to be, you know, and I wouldn't be the person I am without that. I wouldn't have the experiences uh, and I wouldn't come at it with the perspective that I do if I hadn't had the life I had. Um, But I am excited, you know, if that's ever going to be in the future for me, if I'm ever going to have kids, I am so stoked to be able to introduce them to the outdoors and hunting and that lifestyle from day one, you know, um, you know, I love sharing that with my nephews. I love sharing that with my friends. Um, but it, the ability to really raise someone in that environment is, is super exciting to me. You know, it's, I don't know. I don't know what it is about that, but being able to share, share your passion. I think that's a lot of what it is is, you know, everyone wants to share their passion and to really be able to see that in someone else, you know, as they're, as they grow up in it is, is an amazing thing, I think. Nah, I'm totally on board. (laughs) So if uh, somebody came up to you guys and was like, oh my gosh, I read the book, you know, I, I, I'm really inspired by what you guys have, have done. And I, I want to, take my chance, you know, in the back country, or I want to go out hunting and get into the outdoors. Like, but you know, I don't have any background in it. I don't know if I have the resources to do this. I, you know, there's a, there's a lot going on here. Uh, I, I don't feel comfortable doing this. What, what would you say to that person? Uh, this is kind of, this is Scott's talked about this multiple times. I'll let him take this one. So, uh, you know, I actually, I had a conversation with this with a long time friend pretty recently about this. Um, and I suggested that he learn to hunt and learn to backpack and kind of get comfortable with both of them and find a little success with both of them before mixing the two. That would be <laughs> my, my advice, because if you can, if you can hunt in an area that's going to give you multiple opportunities per season to learn lessons on all your failed attempts, you're going to learn so much faster. And that's just very unlikely to happen in the backcountry. No, it's, that is a huge lesson. Um, and <clears throat> you know, I've, I've always been one of those people to where I'm not like the start slowly and build up to something. I'm like that. I want to do that. So I'm going to go do it. <laughs> like, yeah. I've always been in that mindset and you know, that's something that is honestly for the most part has served me well, but with hunting, it has, 
it's been tough. It's been real tough. I mean, you know, I don't know how much of my history you guys know, but my first real hunt, like, you know, I'd sat in a tree stand once or twice and I'd walked around, uh, you know, pretending like I was looking for deer. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, but my first real, real hunt that was a, an over the counter solo DIY archery elk hunt. Like I'm just like, I've never done this before. I'm going to bomb out to Idaho with my bow and try and shoot an elk, you know, miles from a road. It's nice to say there was some issues with that. Um, you know, I will also admit I learned more from that trip than I have ever learned from any successful trip I've had. And, you know, I would not trade that experience for anything, albeit I'd prefer not to have torn my knees on that trip, but that's a whole other story for those who have listened to that podcast. Um, but you know, it's, uh, (laughs) it's definitely a lesson I've learned. And I, if I was to do it again, I would probably go out, uh, go out on maybe a duck hunt or something or a, uh, you know, find some, find some buddies to take me out on a hog hunt uh, with a rifle before I decide to go chase elk miles from a road in, you know, well, knee deep snow in Idaho, but (laughs) on the contrary though, I mean, I'm assuming it, it, uh, it didn't scare you away from hunting, right? It did not. It's, but I kind of, I mean, you know, pat myself on the back here. I like to think I'm a bit of a rare breed. Um, I think a lot of people that are more tentative, I'm one of those people, like I said, I am the type of person that will jump into something with both feet and hammer at it until it works. Like until it works either by I develop enough skill or I just get lucky enough to, for something to happen. I will be that guy that I will just keep hammering away. And that's always been my personality. Um, regardless of how frustrated I get, how much I'm kicking myself, how down I get about it. But I know not everyone's like that, you know, and there may be some people that bringing it around to what the first thing we talked about, you know, some people come in and if all they see is, uh, you know, somebody going out and walking, you know, walking through the woods in, in Wyoming and they, you know, all of a sudden a bull pops out and they shoot it at, 20 yards and bada bing bada boom they're they're packing it out and they're not able to do that they uh you know they may feel like there's something wrong uh, i saw that and i was kind of like i didn't i i knew enough to not expect it to be that easy but i didn't expect it to turn out like it did and uh i know not everyone is going to be at that point where they're they're able to face failure after failure after failure. And that's just how we're built as people. I feel like, you know, not you want to, you need a little bit of that success and that, you know, you need a little bit of that sweetness to be able to counteract all the better. Um, I, I think it's, it's so hard with hunting too, because like if you go multiple seasons without even seeing a legal animal or one that's, you know, not in range, that's hard. You know, if, if you're blowing opportunities and it's something that you need to hone your skills for. That's one thing. Like you can work on that. But if you're if you're in an area where you just you're not even getting opportunities, that's really hard for people to keep you know spending their money and taking their vacation time and all that. Especially going out of state where it's not it's not cheap. I yeah. mean, you know, it's one thing. Yeah, if you're cruising, you're cruising an hour down the road and you're spending you know whatever. Uh, 50 bucks on your license and, uh, you know, 25 bucks on a tag or something, you know, for some places that's pretty damn pricey. Um, but you know, it's one thing if you're just cruising down the road and you're like, okay, I haven't seen anything this whole time, but whatever, that's, you know, 75 bucks and, uh, you know, a couple hours are, you know, a day out of my year versus like, okay, I got to, I've got to sacrifice my a week of my vacation time that takes me, you know, over a year to build. I got to sacrifice, you know, I mean, depending on where you're hunting, you know, anywhere from hundreds to thousands of dollars to get a tag, get a license and get out there. I mean, I've invested, a, there's a lot more gear involved when you're going back country. I mean, it's, it can be pretty heartbreaking when, when, 
you don't see success ever. And it's enough to, and it's enough to turn people away. And I, you know, and I'm not the one to try and scare anyone away. I'm like, you know what? You want to go on a backcountry elk hunt? I'll advise you to try some stuff before that. But if that's what you want to do, I will do everything in my power to make sure, you know, you're successful. I love, I love that kind of drive, but also don't let it drive you away from hunting if you're not successful. I feel like we all have that in common. Hmm. Us right here. <laughs> when you guys say that, I mean, I really, I mean, it's because it's fresh in our mind, but you know, I think about our, our bear hunt we just got back on and we, we ended up seeing uh, nine bears. We saw five adults and four cubs and we never had an opportunity at a uh, illegal bear. It was a lot of sows and cubs running around and, and the boars we saw were, were not, they were not gettable. They were out of range and, and were not able to close any distance, but, but that trip, I mean, I laughed until I cried for four days straight. I mean, and there's, there's so many other things that make up a hunt that, that we don't talk about. I mean, that, or that doesn't get, that doesn't get shoved in social media because I mean, no, let's be honest. A lot of this stuff is inside jokes. Like if I told you some of the stories that made me laugh till I cried, you'd stare at me like I was an idiot, but if you were there, you would have been, you know, you know, but, but everybody's got those experiences when they go hunting. And, and that's the kind of stuff I think should, should become more of the, uh, and I, I shouldn't say should become the focus of the hunt because, um, we all like, we all like being successful. We all like killing animals while we're out there. And, and that's, that's a lot of fun too. But, but there's just, there's so many moving pieces that happen on a hunt that make it, make it worthwhile that, uh, sometimes I think we get lost in focusing on that, on, on notching that tag and, and we lose focus on other things that make it, uh, make it worthwhile. And I mean, we're, we're, you know, we're, everybody's guilty of it on occasion. And, uh, but I don't know. We had a great time in, in Idaho and, and we didn't kill anything. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> you know, it comes down to what you, what you want to get out of the hunt. If all you want to get out of the hunt, you know, I've talked about it is called it measures of success before, but if all you want to get out of the hunt is a dead animal, then you've got probably better choices. You know, you've, you've got to make choices that will result in that if what you want to get out of a hunt is camaraderie or the experience or, you know, any of a hundred things, you know, I'm sure what's your, okay. So here, here's another question that I get asked all the time and I've never, never asked anyone else before. What's your response when somebody comes to you and says, uh, Oh, I mean, we've all gotten asked this question. Well, you know, do you hunt just for the trophy or do you hunt for meat? And it's like, uh, yes. I actually write about this a little bit in the book. Um, you know, I, I feel sometimes that hunters, we, and I don't know if it's a, it's a, it's an image portrayal issue or whatever, but you know, I, I see everybody and there's a, there's been a movement. I've seen this happen a lot more and I am guilty. I have done the exact picture I'm about to talk about where they're holding up the back strap and they, they, they put their little hashtag, like why we do it or whatever, you know, whatever yeah. their, their mantra is. And it's like, no, that's not why you do it. If it was for the meat, you'd go down to the grocery store and you, you'd pay. I mean, I, if I told my wife how much it costs per pound for me to bring home meat based on everything I've spent, she would come unglued. Right. You know, I mean, and that's, that's the same for all of us. And, and, and it's okay to want to be, uh, to, to like hunting and, and to enjoy the process of the hunt and get a thrill out of, out of, chasing an animal and, and, you know, basically, uh, defeating it in its own territory. And that, and that's okay to enjoy that part of it. I mean, uh, the meat is a fantastic secondary item, but, but it's okay to like both. It's okay to like the trophy aspect of it. And it's okay to like the meat and it's okay to like everything else in between. And I, I just, sometimes it bothers me sometimes that, that we don't, that, you know, get pushed out one, you know, one way or the other, but. No, it's, it's such a loaded question. And, it, typically when I get asked that, my response is, how long do you have to talk right now? <laughs> because this <laughs> is not safe. a, yeah, this is not a binary, like yes or no question here. We're going to, we're going to have a very long discussion. We're going to talk about what trophy hunting is. We're going to talk about what meat hunting is. We're going to, we're going to talk about uh, the adventure. We're going to talk about the prep. We're going to, 
you're going to, you are going to hate me after this conversation or you're going to love me. Um, but <laughs> so this last year when I was in Montana, uh, I had, I had, I was in between changing areas. And so, uh, I was driving at night. So I decided to stop in town, grab myself a burger, a couple beers. And I sat down, I was talking with this old timer and he's like, you know, you've been, you know, where are you from? And I told him, you know, I'd come from out of state and, and he was like, well, you, you know, you've been seeing anything. And I'd seen a, a couple good bucks the day before. So I showed him a couple phone scope videos. He goes, you know, I just don't know why everyone's hung up on shooting all these big old rutted stinky bucks. <laughs> I shot myself a real nice doe this morning. And, you know, I know she's going to be tender and she was close to the road. And, you know, I just, I just don't get it. And I was like, well, it, you know, for me, it's some, there's something to be, to be said about, you know, the matching of the wits, you know, and, and, and trying to outsmart a mature animal. And, and I love that portion of it, but his viewpoint on it was just, it was so profound to me that, you know, we do get caught up in this and, and it was, it was, I don't know, it was refreshing to hear him so excited about shooting a nice fat doe that was real close to the road. Well, it's, I can get behind. Oh yeah. Be honest. I'll tell you my, my deer this year was, him and all his friends. They were gonna- my deer this year. I'm I'm looking at it oh, right yeah. now. It's a little. It's right above right above my laptop here. It's a little uh, velvet spike. It may be big enough to have a crab claw if it wasn't in velvet. But that was the damn tastiest buck in the world, and I'm so proud of that thing. But I think so much of it is not even the perspective of like, oh, this buck's going to be tastier. But it it is all this feeling of like sometimes we do feel like we have to be chasing something bigger. Like not that it's not okay to shoot a smaller buck, but it's not okay to chase a smaller buck Does that or a doe or whatever that is, if that makes sense. And I think, um, you know, that's a, it's okay to be excited about just, you know, wanting, wanting that doe, wanting that buck, whatever it is. Um, I think it's a it's definitely shift in mindset. Well, kind of circling back to your question about uh, advising a new hunter wanting to get into it. That's one of the very first things that I ask them is, is what is going to be a successful hunt to you? You know, is like shooting an animal with a rifle or a bow? Is either of that important to you? You know, is, uh, is it, is a doe, an archery doe, is that going to be successful or a rifle doe, uh, you know, or a, a rifle cow, you know, there's some list B tags that are around that can provide some really good opportunity if that's going to feel like a success for somebody. So kind of trying to figure out if they just want to, you know, if they, they just want to have a successful hunt and kill something like that's a, that's a, I mean, identifying that early on is a key to success. Oh, without a doubt. Well, and I think, I think too, it's, it's important. I mean, and, and I know I've, I've probably mentioned this a couple of times. I, I kind of get, uh, get focused on it because it's kind of a pet peeve of mine, but um, social media has, has increased everybody's idea of what a trophy is and what they should be proud of. I mean, you know, I was on a, uh, I had a draw tag whitetail hunt last year and, and I killed a, I missed, well, I missed a, a dandy buck. And then I ended up, I was, my wife was kind of irritated. I think that I missed a deer. <laughs> she wanted me <laughs> home and, and it was, it wasn't, it was it wasn't a, it was a, it was a front country hunt. Like I had my trailer and I was drinking, going back to a, a heated trailer in November and drinking whiskey every night. And, and I, I had an opportunity at a, a, a little basket three point that next day and I shot it and it, it wasn't 20 minutes after I posted my first picture on my Facebook that I got a, a text message from somebody saying, uh, not congratulations, but Hey, why didn't, why didn't you hold out for a bigger deer? And it's, and it's, it's interesting to me that, uh, you know, people need to, people need to not get caught up in that trap and people need to make their own expectations and live to their own values and not, not what the internet says you should be. You should never, I mean, I see people, you know, uh, well, I know, you know, they always preface their picture. Ah, oh, he's not the biggest buck in the world, but here's my buck. It's like, no, screw that, man. Like you went out and killed that deer and, and be proud of it. You know, I, I, I think it's, a, I think that's an important mindset for people to, to yeah. maintain. No, I, uh, I, I honestly, I've, I've had that discussion before with people about like, you know, Oh, you know, I know, I know this, um, you know, he's, he's not very big. Like to some extent, I do understand prefacing that. Cause you do want to say, you're like, Hey, yeah, he doesn't have a big, like you're, 
you're trying to make that point where you're, you don't want to do that, but I feel like almost calling it out makes it worse. But yeah, uh, I remember posting about my buck and, um, Oh, I had, I had some dude that was like super butt hurt that I had, uh, unfollowed him on Instagram and he started trying to talk, talk a bunch of shit. And, uh, oh, <laughs> It was kind of amazing because he kept he kept getting really 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 angry with me because I kept sharing all the messages he would send me uh, <laughs> and tag him. Anyway, but yeah, like I just remember you know thinking to myself, I'm like, I legitimately, and the way I ended up phrasing it was, I could go out and today and shoot you know, uh, a four point that's tall and wide and just beautiful. And I would not be nearly as proud of that deer as I am of this, of this spike I have right here, you know, and I, and it, and it was the truth. Like, I remember I always wondered for myself, like when I, you know, cause I was very unsuccessful for a long time coming up to this and I remember going out with my buddies in Arizona and I was wondering, I'm like, you know, what will my mindset be? I like to think like, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to be willing to, to take my first animal, whatever it is. And this and that, I wasn't sure. Like, I'm like, I think, I think this is how I'm going to be. Uh, but you know, when the, the rubber meets the road and you're having to decide whether or not to draw on a buck and you're like, okay, well it's a button buck or it's a spike or something. Do I really want to shoot this? You know, who knows what decision you're actually going to make. And I remember the first stock I ever put on a deer, you know, it was, uh, it was actually, there was a button buck and there was a spike or no, it was a button buck and a forky, I think. And I go in and, you know, I'm with my, my buddy Mason, uh, down in Arizona and we're, we're putting this stock on this deer and we get in and, and he's like, well, he's like, okay, the spike's over here. It's through this thing, you know, and we're kind of gauging whether or not I can make the shot through the trees. And I'm like, I don't feel comfortable making that shot. And he's like, well, this other one's just a button buck. I'm like, I want that buck. I'm like, I don't, I don't care. And I was, I mean, you know, I was whatever patting myself on the back right now, but like, I was just happy with myself that to some extent that I'm like, I'm just passionate about what we're doing right here. And in the moment, you know, I, it doesn't matter to me whether or not it's a spike, a fork, a, a button buck, or a four point. And I mean, don't get me wrong. If there's a four point and a button buck standing right next to each other, I'm taking the four point. But, you know, especially for my first deer, I've, I've got it hanging right above my laptop in like the place of honor, you know, and it's, it's, <laughs> it's never going to move. That's always, it is always going to hold the place of honor in my mind, in my very sparse trophy room, <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever it is, but whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt at midwayusa.com. We understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. So if uh, people want to check out the Team Bad Decision book, learn all about the stories, catch all of the failures, all of the successes. I'm holding this up as if people can see it and they can't right now, but <laughs> if, if people want to buy the book, where can they, uh, where can they check it out? Uh, so the paperback version is only sold through my website and that's uh, www.teambaddecision.com. And then you can find the ebook on Amazon, iTunes, Barnes and Noble, all the big major retailers. Uh, it's available there. Fantastic. And if people want to follow along with all the shenanigans on online, where can they, uh, where can they check you guys out? Uh, we got both the Facebook and Instagram. Our Instagram is at ST underscore team bad decision. And then our Facebook group is facebook.com uh, slash team bad decision book. And uh, shenanigans is right. We've, we've been releasing slowly the videos from our Idaho bear trip. And uh, <laughs> Scott, and I think they, we are significantly funnier than, uh, than our compatriots do, but, uh, but uh, there's still some more videos to come. So <laughs> hashtag Travis Attenborough. Oh dear. Oh dear. <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> um, awesome. Is there uh, anything we didn't talk about? Anything about the book? Anything about y'all's story that uh, you guys really want to share? Want to cover? I'll just say we we've had some we've had some real you know some really positive feedback coming in so far from people that we're not related to you know both our moms <laughs> like the book but people other than you that. know what, you you're speaking to my soul here once again uh, I always joke and I've I've talked about it on the podcast before my mom is my biggest fan of this podcast she shares every <laughs> single episode I actually just posted a video of her uh, I I I walked into the house uh, one day and. Uh, I'm, I'm like listening and I'm, I thought I heard something from the other room. Then all of a sudden I realized I was hearing my own voice coming from the other room and she's got, she's like walking around with her phone, listening to the latest episode of the podcast. So uh, <laughs> she's the first person to share there are every single episode, yeah. but yeah, no. And I do have to uh, give a huge shout out uh, to Brittany Prosser uh, for introducing, introducing all of us. She is, a good friend and I know she is a huge fan of you guys. Um, she's the one, she's yeah, the she's one that introduced me to the two of y'all. And, uh, so big shout out to Brittany. Um, she is absolutely a rock star. So thank you, Brittany for it, making the introduction. I, I guarantee she will be listening to this one. Uh, I got several, I got a couple of messages from her the second I mentioned that uh, we were hopping on tonight. So, all right, guys. Well, That's thank funny. you so much for uh, hopping on. Uh, I'll make sure to post links to everything up on the show notes page. But uh, appreciate it. No, man. Thanks for having us on. That was great. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thank you. All right, y'all. That'll do it for episode 105 of Living Country in the City. Make sure y'all check out the show notes page at livingcountryinthecity.com slash 105. Get links to everything we talked about in today's episode. Also, y'all, Team Bad Decision is going to be doing a book giveaway. So head on over to their Instagram page, give them a like, give them a follow, and keep an eye out for that post to win a copy of their book. But in the meantime, keep it country, y'all. Thank y'all for listening to Living Country in the City. Get show notes and check out the blog, product reviews, events, and more at livingcountryinthecity.com. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep-sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.